It is good to be here with you. All summer we'd be kind of going, oh, you've got to get back to Campbell River. And then uh, Steve phone says, can you sub in quick? And I said, sure, you got one more chance uh, this, this Sunday. Uh, this Sunday is Pastor Darren's last Sunday. So your sister church in Ladysmith, Ocean View, uh, Pastor Darren Phillips has been there for 13 years. And he has just recently resigned. Today is his last sermon. Next week is his farewell uh, which apparently I am leading, um, which I didn't know about. Um, so that, that's cool. And then I will be helping as the interim pastor there in Ladysmith. I did a sabbatical for Darren a couple of years ago, and uh, that's it. Now, I retired uh, two years ago, and then I came up here for 10 months as your interim lead pastor, 11 months actually, and currently I am working at Camp Quano three days a week. I said, yes, I'll come back, but I get to do two things. Number one, I only build stuff. I don't fix stuff. And number two, I don't go to any meetings. Um, and so it's been really good. So three, and you know, if I, six hours, uh, I go about 20 hours a week. And after six hours a day, if I feel like I'm too old for this, I just go home. This is good. It's been really good. And this summer, I had an opportunity to go to Salt Spring Island. And I would preach, uh, all, all summer long, I preached on Salt Spring Islands to give the pastor a break. He needed a sabbatical. So June, July, August, we were over in Salt Spring, which is right across our water. So we went for a cruise every Sunday morning and afternoon and preached to a small group over there. Had a really great time. And so we were always wondering, uh, God, what's the next thing? And uh, it's at Ocean View, apparently. So I would ask that you pray for... Pastor Darren, uh, he has not a church to go to specifically. He's taking a bit of a break, and then we'll be going into ministry somewhere. We just don't know where. Pray for Ocean View search team, which will be getting up to speed in January, and uh, they'll be looking for a new pastor. Pray for me as I come in and part-time. I said, only three days a week. That's all I'm doing, and we'll see how that goes. So uh, that's, that's what you can be praying for. It is good to be back here with you. Um, like I uh, Steve said, uh, when I was here, uh, everybody was online. We kind of got the whole online thing going, and I think I met 30 people. Um, the rest, you know, we walked downtown. People said, hi, and I go, who are you? Oh, <laughs> well, I see you online every Sunday. Oh, that's where it is. That's good. That's good. Well, this morning we want to talk just a little bit uh, about uh, better um, and my apologies as I start in to any vegetarians or vegans in the congregation. I'm going to tell you a story. You might think it's gross, so just hang in there. When I was growing up, my mother cooked all meat well done. She grew up in Saskatchewan. And in Saskatchewan, uh, in those early days, there were no refrigeration. Uh, my grandfather had a Derek had a farm, and they had cows on it, and there was a, what was called a meat circle. And so every uh, one of the farmers, they would send a uh, steer to the butcher to be butchered and divided amongst probably nine or ten farms, and that would be the meat for the week. And then the next week, another farmer would bring in a cow so that you couldn't keep the meat. You used it up as quick as you can. And uh, everybody, everybody... When it was W.T. Pax steer, they all, oh, this is going to be great meat. So my grandfather had a really good farm. And, but 
when your meat is like that, you make sure it's well done. You can't, you know, it could be a little suspect, so you cook her like crazy. Well, that's what my mom did. We rarely ate out. We got Chinese food after haying season in August. Uh, Dad would take Chinese food, but that was kind of our only eating out all my growing up years. We always had our own beef in the freezer. My dad had a little farm. We always had cattle. We always had uh, meat in the freezer. We ate up all the hamburger first because that was the good stuff. And then the Sunday roast, that was pretty good. But then the leftovers, and I always remember opening the freezer. Mom said, get some meat in the bottom was steak, steak, steak. And we go, oh, man, steak again. Do we have to eat this? Like, where's the hamburger? I'm sorry, it's all eaten up. Liver was better than steak. Because <laughs> mom had this mustard sauce that went on it. And that, was, that was like so good. You see, my mom cooked steak well done. It was dry. We grew up thinking it was second-rate stuff. And we used to take it cold from the fridge, and we'd take it with us in our pocket on the tractor, and you just bite off a chunk of it and chew it all day long, and it's like hardtack, and, and you know, it was, no, it was like beef jerky, but without any spices or anything, just hard. You know, that was steak. That was horrible stuff. Then I met Sandra, and my life changed forever. It was on her 19th birthday. And her father took us out to High's Steakhouse. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I hope they've got hamburger. And then they're taking the order around the table. No one's having steak. Oh. They were so happy to be able to offer a steak dinner. And I thought, well, I better fit in. You know, new girlfriend, new family. You know, to kind of fit in. And then they said, how would you like it? Well, everybody goes medium rare, medium rare, medium rare. And I thought, oh, new girlfriend, you got to fit in. So I said medium rare, whatever that means. <laughs> it comes, and I'm cutting into it, and I kind of look. It's red on the inside. And there's juice coming out of it. And I thought for sure I could hear it go, moo. <laughs> so I cut into it, and I took my first bite of Steakhouse Medium Rare. Oh, my. So that's what steak is supposed to taste like. It's like a choir of angels singing hallelujah. It was so good. High steak spices, flame grilled. It was indescribably better. It was better. You know, every human being aspires to have the good life. Many philosophers in different cultures attempt to describe what the good life is. You hear it on TV and the media, and you're thinking yourself, hey, I'm looking for the good life. What is the good life? Canada, what's the good life? When you look at the world around you, you know, they say we're, we're, we're part of and we have the opportunities for the good life. You look back in history at some of the ancient philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. They all tried to describe what is the good life that we're trying to come to. Today, people around us are seeking the good life. Some are looking to live an honest life, life full of integrity, joy, and happiness. Others seek wealth, social status, fame. In our quest for the good life, some completely disregard the needs of other people, while others consider helping people 
is the actual means of living the good life. You get all these uh, different ideas. There's huge difference between living the good life and having a good life. For some, the good life is playing video games while eating as much as they please. That's a good life. Others associate the good life with days spent hiking or fishing or out in nature. For many, the good life revolves about the people that you're with. Spouses, children, grandchildren, friends. Some simply want to spend their time trying to make the world a better place. The good life. Nice things, comfort, convenience, fun. The issue is that so many are settling for the good life when God has something indescribably better. The word better appears numerous times throughout the Bible. Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. The book of Hebrews, uh, the writer contrasts not something bad with something good, but something good with something better, perfect. With Jesus, you have a better hope, a better covenant, a better promises, a better country. God has planned something better for us. So you might be searching for the good life, but God planned something better for you. And a key thought for today is this. You're going to have to let go of the good to grab hold of the better. Letting go of the good to grab hold of the better. In other words, you're never going to get your steak highs, medium, rare if you're going to settle for well done. You only get one shot. You've got to make it count. Looking for something better. Now, I'm sure that's why you're here. You want something better. Believing in God for something better. Better, Looking into the Bible for verses, verses with the word better in it, we find there's like 127 verses in the New International Version that have the word better. God is talking about better. And this morning we're going to begin our conversation with one verse in Psalm 84. So if you have your Bibles, your smartphones, you can actually click on uh, Psalm 84. You kind of have it there. You can read it through. I'll have the verses up there for you. Now, this psalm was written by the sons of Korah, and it was compiled by King David into the book we call Psalms. And so the sons of Korah write this verse, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2 that will kind of give you the context of what verse 10 is talking about. In verses 1 and 2, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Interesting words there. The dwelling place of the Lord Almighty. The courts of the Lord. What is it talking about? Does your soul yearn for the courts of the Lord? Uh, That's very ancient language. What is it actually talking about? Anytime you see that in the Old Testament, the courts of the Lord... Realize that is symbolism. It's a symbol meaning and indicating the presence of God. Yearning for the presence of God. I want to feel God. I want to know I'm where God is. During King David's time and during his reign, that's about 1000 BC, people would have an understanding that God would dwell in the tabernacle. 
That's a very fancy tent that Moses constructed on God's instructions. They would move the tabernacle, this fancy tent, from place to place during their 40 years in the wilderness. They were a very nomadic, pastoral uh, people group, kind of moving around. And as they moved, they would take this, this structure, and it would be where God is. It, and then eventually the permanent temple of Solomon, King David's son, it wasn't built yet. So we have this idea of the tabernacle. And even though they'd been in the land for many years, they were still using the tabernacle during David's time, the tent. And they understood God dwells here in the middle of our people. In, this, in the capital city, there is the tabernacle. And it actually wasn't even in Jerusalem yet. It was still in some of the outskirt towns, hadn't made it to Jerusalem yet. Only certain priests would be able to enter the tabernacle and perform the rituals that were part of their worship experience. And the people, they would go into the courts. This outside, there would be a sort of a curtain area. This is the courts. And the people would go into the courts to worship God. They'd never get into the tabernacle. Only priests would go there. But they would get into the courts. They would get as close to God's presence as they could. And it would be like everyone standing out in the parking lot every Sunday morning to worship. It was a little bit like COVID. You got to come, but not together, not in the building. You're kind of on the outside, and we want to kind of get close to God. So our focus verse this morning is verse 10. You got that idea of the courts of the Lord, of what they were talking about in King David's time. And then the sons of Korah write these words, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper, well, a doorkeeper at this time, in King David's time, was kind of a lower job in the Levitical tribe. Uh, many years later, during the time of Nehemiah, the doorkeeper was actually a very highly respected temple guard. But at the time of writing this song, the priests got to serve in the tabernacle and the sacrifice areas all the time. But at least the doorkeeper, the guy who kind of was at the entrance as people came in and out, kind of like an usher, he, uh, he got to be there all the time, but sort of at the edge, standing in the elements outside at God's house. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper, nobody special, than live in the safety and luxury of the world's tents. To many people, they simply don't believe this. Christians are foolish. You wake up early to go to some boring church service. You follow a bunch of rules. You're miserable and legalistic and judgmental all the time. I want to have fun. I want to be the party guy. I want to have a good time sinning. And you know... Sin is fun for a little while, and then it'll kick your butt. It's a lot like a sneeze. You know, a sneeze feels really good coming out, but then there's yuck everywhere. Christians, they've got to be foolish. Why is it better to be the doorkeeper in God's house than to live in a wealthy mansion? God's ways are better than our ways. His love is better than life. 
With Christ, you have the forgiveness of your sins that are as far as the east is from the west. He never holds them against you again. You have the security of knowing that you're in the family of God. You have joy unspeakable. You have happiness that's not based on the happenings of this world, but you have a joy based on God's love, on who God is. No matter what's going on in your life, you can have supernatural peace beyond what a person has the ability to even understand. His divine calling and purpose is available for your life. God knew me before I was ever born. The days for my life are written in his book before even one of them came to be. You have this when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. We have, uh, I was doing an interview for uh, a lady coming into our church in uh, Ocean View. And she's in her early 40s, uh, single now. And uh, she used to work for uh, an oil company, oil executive, tons of uh, huge responsibilities in Alberta, and uh, she ended up back out here. But she became a believer later in life. And you know her words were, it is so much better than it was. I had all this stuff, but it is better where I am now with God. God gives us a unique calling, a unique purpose, a unique contribution to make in this life. We have this power. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have access to the very throne of God. You have his provision. You have everything you need to do everything that God calls you to do. Now, I'm not saying there won't be trials. I'm not saying you won't have a hard time. But Jesus is your peace in the storm. I'd rather be in the boat with Jesus than on the shore without him. Because a day with him is better than a thousand elsewhere. Now, if it is better to have one day with God, how do we have a day with him? How do we live out that verse? Like, if that's what the verse is saying, we sing that song occasionally. How is it that you can have a day with God? You know, humans have this tendency to compartmentalize our life, probably very strong in the Western Hemisphere, in our world, in our culture today. We compartmentalize our life. We have our spiritual time. We have our work time. And then we have another box for our family time. And then we have dinner time. And, you know, we've got to have me time. And then there is sleep time. Depending how old you are depends how big that sleep time is. But I think what we need, and I've always tried to struggle to see, is what is a biblical day with God? How do we live with an ongoing, unending awareness of God's presence through all of our day? How, do we be, how can we be aware that God is with you all day long, 24-7, not just Sundays, not just when you pray, not just when you read your Bible. Our God is continually guiding you by his Holy Spirit, comforting you. You know, the Spirit's, Holy Spirit's name in Greek is the Comforter. Sometimes God's Spirit is convicting us. Sometimes he is speaking to us. We often are tempted to separate our lives into the spiritual and the secular Spiritual is time with God. Secular is time to deal with life. In the Old Testament, there is no Hebrew word for spiritual. 
I wasn't in, even in their concepts. There is no idea of spiritual life and secular life. God was spirit when he created everything in his image. So everything is spiritual. It's, it's like coming up to Jesus uh, as he's, you know, walking through Galilee, Samaria, and say, Jesus, how is your spiritual life? I think Jesus' answer would be, dude, everything is spiritual. I'm here doing my Father's business. So to God, everything is spiritual. So what we need to learn to do is to do life with God. All of life. All parts of life. Our relationships, our jobs, our leisure, our rest, our worship. Eating, sleeping, joyful Sad, angry, quiet, loud, all of life is with God. In the Old Testament, God dwells in the tabernacle. That's how people understood it. He dwelled in the tabernacle. Later, he dwelled in the temple. And the people would desire to be in the temple courts. They would have to go someplace to be with God. Now, in the New Testament, that changed the book of Ephesians is very specific about that. The Bible says that a follower of Jesus Christ, you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to go somewhere to be with God. God has come to be with you, to actually dwell inside of you by His Holy Spirit. So you can literally have a day with God. Not just time with God but a whole day with God. And if you can have a whole day with God, you can have a week. You can have a month. And if you can have a month, you can have a year. And if you can have a year, you can do life with God with an ongoing, unending awareness of God's presence. That's what Paul says in Colossians. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, wherever you're going, whatever you do in life, everything you're doing, your job, at home, worship, with the kids, with the angry kids, with the nice kids, you can do life with God. Driving to work, texting your mom, going to the grocery store, studying for an exam, practicing for your marathon. Whatever you do, do it with God because it's all spiritual. You can do it all with an unending awareness of God's presence. You can do life with God. So better is a day with God than a thousand elsewhere. That raises a question, how do we just have a day with God? If you're like me, you've got good intentions. You might have tried this before, you know. I'm going to have a day with God. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ as the way to God. I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to be aware of His presence. You sit down, turn on the TV, and you forget about it for an hour or two. And the rest of the day, and you're exhausted from a long day with cranky kids, and you go to bed, and all of a sudden it's the next morning. And life just starts happening again. So as I've gotten older, there are two things I've learned about this having a day with God. Maybe you can incorporate these concepts into your life and discover the better. An ongoing, unending relationship acknowledging the presence of God. Doing life with God. 
So number one, number one is developing the habit of constant communication with God. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. That could be really dangerous, you know. You're driving down the highway and close your eyes, bow your head, and uh, can't really rely on the Holy Spirit to... Although the, my car does have a button that you push, and it keeps you in the lines, which is nice. But, you know, I think some of those Tesla drivers might have been praying when they pushed the button, and you get a ticket if you do that. How do you pray without ceasing? Praying all of the time. You know, I'm more of an ADD prayer guy. Dear God, I love you and help me with this. And, oh, it's trash day tomorrow. I can't even pray five minutes. How do I pray continually? Well, you can develop a habit of constant communication with God. So it doesn't have to be an hour of spiritual warfare prayer. Well, that's good, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't even have to be, God bless this meal. It doesn't have to be a prayer at the end of the day. Instead, think of short bursts of communication consistently through the entire day. It's a little bit like Twitter, Instagram. You know, 140 words, 140 characters, that's all you can put in. Kick and sunrise, God. Great worship song on the radio, God. Thanks for the job you've provided for me. Oh, God, my boss. Give me the grace to deal with her today. Jesus, that person looks like they're hurting. I pray your spirit will work in that person's life. Would you have me say something to that person? Lead me to be a blessing in Bob's life. Oh, praying for my son. He's taking his exam. Help me be a good witness today as I go to softball practice. Help me find that screw that I just dropped on the floor. I talk to God a lot about lost things on the floor as I get older. It's hard to see that stuff. Constant, ongoing communication with God. You're praying without ceasing. It's ongoing, unending awareness of God's presence about anything and everything. Having a day with God. This was brought home to me a number of years ago by a story about a guy named Nick. Nick was born to poor parents in France during an unstable economic period. And he was born to a poorly educated family, and he was a poorly educated young man. He joined the army just in order to get a good meal and something to do. One day, he saw a leafless tree in the middle of a battlefield. And he realized that the tree would be in full leaf and flower in a few months. And Nick grasped for the first time the extravagance of God's grace and his sovereignty. And like the tree, he himself seemed dead. But God had life waiting for him. And at that moment, he said, that lifeless tree, quote, first flashed in upon my soul the fact of God and a love for God that never ceased to burn. As a soldier, Nick was involved in a number of terrible battles. He suffered some debilitating injuries. He was taken prisoner, but finally released. 
He mustered out of the army because of his injuries, and so Nick eventually found work as a simple servant in the house of the government finance minister. But he proved to be a great, awkward fellow who broke everything. He didn't last long at that job, and at the age of 26, he followed his uncle's example and joined a monastic order in Paris. He spent the rest of his life as a monk, where his primary assignments were working in the kitchen and in his later years repairing sandals. He took a new name, Brother Lawrence. He was awkward, unpolished, and we might never have known anything about him except that gradually, despite his lowly position in the organization, his character attracted people to him. He had the reputation for experiencing profound peace, and visitors came to seek spiritual guidance from him. They had to go all the way through into the kitchens to find Brother Lawrence as he was scrubbing pots or making porridge. The influence of this humble sandal maker grew, not only among the poor, but many learned people, church leaders, had great respect for Brother Lawrence, and they would come to his kitchen to talk with him. His letters, a very few that he wrote, would eventually become the basis for a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. You can actually view it online. It's very short. Read it in an hour or two. And it's a free e classical e-book. But Brother Lawrence discovered this principle of constant communication with God. The love of God made every detail of his life of surpassing value. He says, I began to live as if there was no one, save God and me, in the world. Together, God and Brother Lawrence cooked meals, ran errands, scrubbed pots, and endured the scorn of the world. He understood the holiness available within the common busyness of life. Having a day with God. Constant communication. The second discovery that I found about having a day with God that makes life better is to be present in the moment. Enjoy the moment. Live in the moment. You know, it's really important to live in the moment. Why is it, do you think, that we aren't always fully present? Sometimes it's we're just plain distracted by all the stuff that's happening in life. Jobs, kids, problems, plans, houses, building, fixing, traveling, disappointments, disasters, world news. We see life as frustrating. Uh, we see life as having a bad day. Uh, we just get through this problem. And then we struggle to find the good life. How do we find the good life in all of this stuff that's happening? And if we're young, we're kind of hoping when we get older, we'll see the good life. When you're older, you look back and go, I wish I had taken more advantage of the good life I had. As I've aged, I have come to realize the need to appreciate where I am right now with God. One of my jobs at camp has been working at the treatment plant, which is all the sewage comes down to the bottom base, and we have the whole treatment plant there, and, and then it, it's treated, and then it go, the clear water goes out into the ocean. It's all environmentally safe, and we have to make sure it's all done right. 
Well, my responsibility is to kind of work with the treatment of that. So I'm working with poop all day long, not all day, usually an hour a day. It can be a little discouraging. But then I focus on being present in the moment. And I notice where I am. It's in the middle of summer. It's a nice sunny day. And I look out, and here is a half a mile of beach. I work on the beach all summer long. And I go, you know, people would kill for this job to be down here. And, and I would do construction on the beach and all summer long. Living in the moment, appreciating where I am right now. This is really good. When my grandchildren come for dinner on Thursday night, they want me to play with them. We want to play house. You be the dad. Papa, you be the dog. <laughs> Papa, come. We want to build Lego. You know, it, it, I understand everything lasts about five minutes, and then you got a new thing. Papa, let's go run the trains. Many times it's boring. I can barely remember when my children were this age. It all goes by so quickly. And I have had to say, hey, remember this moment. Enjoy this present moment with these kids who are doing dumb things and, and enjoy it because it's going to be gone. And you won't even remember it. So enjoy it right now with these little blessings that God has given you. Be thankful to the, the blessings that God has given right here, right now. I, I tell parents of young children, they come into my office and they're complaining about the kids and this, and I can't get to church, and, I got, and it's just like they're overwhelmed, they're tired, they're frustrated, they're worn out, they're worried. You know, I say, it's only five to ten years. That sounds bad, but man, it's all over. You can never get it back. When that baby is like this big, they only last for like two seconds, and then they're this big and screaming. And then they're this big and wanting to drive the car. And then they're this big and they're driving you to the doctor. You can never get it back, the good and the bad. Enjoy being present in the moment. Have a day with God. It's a better than a thousand without him. Another reason we have trouble being present in the moment is because we lack faith. We can be troubled by something that happened a long time ago. You know, I, I find, it, find it funny when I have the, re, the memories of stuff. Usually there was a trauma attached to it, and that's the stuff I remember. Or sometimes we're trying to struggle to figure out what happened, and we want to attempt to undo it, and we, we worry about it, and we go to counselors, we go to therapy, we try to deal with all that stuff from behind. Or we get all freaked about, out about what's going to happen in the future. We watch the news and we get even more freaked out. The only way we can be present in the moment is to actually surrender the past you can't change and trust God with a future that you can't control. Letting go of a past that you can't change no matter what you do, and you have to trust God with it. And you have to surrender your future and trust God is good. He cares and he's already there in the future. Jesus redeems the past, and our Lord is good in the future. There you, therefore, you can be fully engaged with it, what is happening in the moment. 
It takes faith in God to engage in God's calling that's right in front of you. The image that illustrates this is the hourglass. That ancient watch clock. And the sand, the sand in the hourglass is your life. You're here for a little while and the sand, life that God has given you on this earth is passing away in the moment. The sand goes fat through that little hole. And there are three things about this that are interesting. Number one, no one knows how much sand is on the top. You think you do. A lot of people who thought there was a lot more than there really is. No one knows how much is on the top. And the older I get, the more I'm aware how little is on the top. Two, no matter what you do, you can't stop the sand from flowing. Time's passing. Time is passing and every day is a gift from God. Today is a gift from God and some of you are wishing it away instead of enjoying the blessings in it. Number three, once the sand is in the bottom, you can never get it back. You can never get it back. So right here at the little neck is the now. Enjoy it, despite what is going on in life. Enjoy this moment, because it will be gone, and you can never get it back. We can live in the past, often haunted by what we could have done, should have done, shouldn't have done. We can have a fear of the future. We What will happen? What is our safety? What is our survival? What about our children? What about my spouse? What about my friends? Instead of being trapped in the past or fearful for the future, we need to enjoy this present moment. There's nothing you can do to change what happened. The future will be greatly impacted in this very moment. So be right here, right now. This is exactly where you need to be. There's a very familiar verse that I'm sure you're all aware of. You've seen that in songs. This verse is always taken out of context. The primary focus of this, the stone the builder rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Look at the context. This is talking about resurrection day when Jesus, the stone that was rejected, is now the cornerstone of his building, the church. It is God's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day, that is the day the Lord is made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. That's what that verse is talking about. However, because of that day, that resurrection day, my day today is what the Lord has made, and I can rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. Because of that day, we can rejoice every day. We can be present in the moment with God because we do not have to fret about the past. It is forgiven. We do not need to worry about the future. It's in his hands. This is the day the Lord has made. Psalm 63, as we come to a close here, Psalm 63 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. 
When you're in constant communication with God, when you're present in the moment, you begin to realize that he is better. Never again will you need to settle for the good life because you want something better. God's forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his power, his presence, his sovereignty working in your life. You will not settle for something less. You want what is better because better is one day. No longer do you compartmentalize your life to spiritual time, my time, work time. You live with him in an ongoing, unending awareness of his presence. And whatever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is spiritual. Doing life with God. You want something better? There is something better. An ongoing, unending relationship with the God of the universe. You sense his presence. You're available to what he says. You want him to use you in the present moment. And at the end of your day, you want to look back and say, I saw God working all over the place today. If that's you, if you're saying, God, I want something better, then pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be set free to work in our hearts. I pray that we won't just spend a little time with you and then do our normal life. Thank you, Jesus, that we can talk to you all day long. Thank you that we can hear from you through your Holy Spirit all day long, that you will speak to us. I thank you that we can have an ongoing fellowship with you. Thank you that we can be different because we're doing life with you. Father, don't let us settle for the good life. We want something better. We want to serve you wholeheartedly in all of our life. We thank you. You know, our culture has taught us to pursue the good life. I'd encourage you to let go of the good for something that's better. If you want steak medium rare, don't settle for well done. To know that all your sins are forgiven, to know that your eternal destiny is secure, to know a divine purpose, a peace and empowerment, to know that you were put here to make an internal difference. There is a better way of life. The problem is our sin is a brutal offense to a holy God. Our sin separates us from God. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus was a better sacrifice. The Old, Te Old Testament sacrifices with the blood of an animal was a temporary covering for our sin. In the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. He was without sin. He shed his blood. He died. He rose again. He is a better sacrifice. He is an eternal sacrifice. And he's the perfect sacrifice. His blood covers our sin once and for all. If you've never accepted the forgiveness provided by Jesus, it's time to step into a better life of knowing and serving Jesus. You acknowledge your sinfulness. You call on Jesus today. He will forgive you. He will transform you. And if this is your first time, if this is a time that you're saying, you know, that's what I want, how do I pray that? Hey, let me just lead you in a little prayer. 
If that's where your heart is, that's where you need to be in this present moment. This would be something that you might say to God. Heavenly Father, save me from my sin. Make me new. I let go of the good to pursue your better life. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I could serve you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen.